let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, and uh, we will be taking up chapter 4 uh, this evening. If you're not familiar with Hebrews, it is right, it's right at the end of the Pauline epistles, so um, you just kind of flip your way through there, and you will come to it, and um, there's a lot of uh, question on who wrote the book of Hebrews, and really in the end it doesn't matter. Um, there's a lot of uh, conjecture out there. It's the mystery. It's the Bible college question, right? Yeah, as you hang out with the students, like, oh, I think it's this person. I think it's that person. And, oh, I think it's this person. And there, there's, there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, theories on who, this, who wrote this book. But in the end, we don't really know. The only thing that we know is that the Holy Spirit penned it. And, um, and so it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness, and everything that we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good and righteous work. So that's a good start, right? So uh, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at um, chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to be going through uh, verse 13 this evening. And uh, tonight's uh, topic is uh, entering into God's rest. Now, I don't know about you guys, but right after the holiday seasons, coming into uh, the the first Hebrew study in in several weeks, uh, for it to be on rest is kind of a nice thing, isn't it? And you know, I was just talking to Jennifer. Her, you know, she's been crazy busy. Rich has been crazy busy. Uh, Jennifer over here, Jen Duke, was also saying that she had a crazy busy day. I know Dan's always busy. <laughs> and and it's like, you know, there's a lot of busy stuff. I think, Jan, you've been like, everything's been going crazy at work as well. She's been working tons of hours and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like again and again and again, this whole theme of busyness, busyness, busyness. Everybody's just, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And uh, I think it's very fitting that the, the Holy Spirit planned us to be right here on this evening, and talking about God's rest. And so um, it's something that's very special to my own heart, um, you know, especially going through tragedy and things like that. Although it's not, as, it's not so much of a tragedy when we're in Jesus, but um, sometimes it feels like a tragedy. And um, just the peace and the rest that God uh, very supernaturally gave to uh, me and my family uh, through uh, Trinity's cancer and all that. Uh, was amazing, and so it's it's something that's very beautiful to me. And you know, I spent a lot of time just you know meditating you know on this word and on these scriptures, and you know it, it's a beautiful thing. And and so I'm really excited to be able to to share it with you guys. So uh, let's just go ahead and d- just dive right in at verse one. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. In those who heard it, uh, for we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. 
For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give account. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. Lord, we pray that you administer it to our hearts and to our lives, Lord, that we might take hold of these things, that we might walk with them, Lord, that we might put them in our pockets, Lord, and take them home, that we might unwrap them there, Lord, and and consider them and and meditate on them and, and just truly, truly, diligently seek and to enter into your rest. Lord, we pray that you would be here among us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us, Lord, that we would be excited, Lord, for your word and for just the grace that you have shed upon us. For it is in Jesus' name that we come before you and pray. Amen. Amen. Now, um, I was very tempted with uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 13. You know, that, that's a very famous uh, passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that you, know, you could very easily do a whole study on. And I have done whole studies uh, on this passage of Scripture. But as I was looking at the context of, uh, of the word that where we were in chapter 4, verse 1, and continuing all the way through verse 13, it's really not what we think it's about. You know, oftentimes we can take this um, verses 12 and 13 and kind of pull it out of its context and just say, oh yeah, look what the Word of God does. You know, like it just digs inside of us and, and like, you know, helps us to discern what's good and bad within us. It helps us to see, you know, who we really are in Jesus and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've heard all sorts of explanation of, of what this text means. But that usually comes from pulling it out of its context and doing more of a study on the Word of God itself rather than what the author of Hebrews is actually stating uh, within uh, this section of Scripture. So in order to... We're definitely going to come to the Word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. We're going to hit it. But when we hit it, in the context of the verses that precede it and the the verses that come right after it, we're going to see that it's actually a warning to Christians. It's a warning. It's not just like, oh, the word of God does this and this. Isn't the word of God great? Right? The word of God is great, but that is not the context of this verse. And as we come into this, we, we, the, the focus of this really truly is the rest that we as believers are called to enter into. Right? That's what this section of scripture is about. And the, the word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword is part of the exhortation to make sure that we diligently seek that rest. So let's go ahead and we're going to back up for a moment and we're going to come back to verse 1. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And I want to pause for a second on this promise. See, we have been given a promise of rest. And it was a promise that dates all the way back to Adam and Eve. Right? It's a promise that was with the children of Israel. It was with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the, the 12 patriarchs. It was with them. It was with uh, Moses as he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was with King David as he took the nation of Israel now and, and led it in glory to you know, conquer many people. It was with Joshua as they entered into the promised land. You know, it, it was with uh, Jesus and, and his day and, and the religious leaders of his time and, and the nation of Israel then. And, and this, this promise went out, this promise of God's rest, this promise of, of what God was doing. And, and 
you know, it, it's important to, to kind of take a look at this because, you know, just in the verses before it, in verses 16 through 19, you know, we see, uh, of chapter 3, that is, we, we see that, you know, the, the people, this mention of rest was, was talked about, just literally the verse before us. And it says, so, you know, so we see that they could not enter in, speaking of the promised land, because of unbelief. Right, so so you could very easily say, oh well, you know this promise. This is speaking, and many people have said that you know this promise, this rest that he's talking about, is a promise to the Jewish people, speaking of the promised land. It even has the name promise in it, right? The you know the the promised rest and the promised land. They kind of link them together and say, here, that that fits nice and tidy, doesn't it? Okay. But we need to kind of ask ourselves, okay, well, what is this promise? What, what is this promised rest that, that we are to enter into that, that the Jews uh, back in Jesus' day, all the way back to Moses, all the way back to uh, Adam and Eve themselves, what is this promised rest that we are to enter into? Because you know, we could say, okay, well, you know, is it the promised land? You know, is that what it is? And if that is the promise, because now this um, author of Hebrews is not speaking to the Old Testament Jews, but he's speaking to New Testament believers. And you know, if, if the, the whole promise is that we are to you know, enter into Israel, then what are we all doing here? Right? It, it doesn't really make any sense. And, and you know, not very many of us have gone to Israel. I've been to Israel. But like, you know, if, if it was true, if that was the case, that the promise rest was a place, a, lo- a location, a geographic area, then you know, if somebody like got caught up in customs over at LAX and they said, "Oh, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to go because you know it's hard to get to Israel." You know, I went through and they they literally pulled me aside and they took my shoes from me, they took my bag, they they patted me down, they they t- like bomb sniffer things all over me, and they said, "We'll give you your bag. You just go ahead and go back to the terminal." They gave me my shoes back. They said, "But go back to the terminal, sit there, and we'll, somebody will find you with your bag." I was like, "Really?" Yeah, and these guys have machine guns on their backs and the whole bit. You know, it's tough, but like, yeah, if, if the promise, if this rest was indeed, you know, the promised land, if it was Israel, if it was a place, then if I had got caught in that customs office and they said, sorry, you know what, you're not going to be able to go, sir, then at that point I should have fallen down on my knees and started screaming, oh, Lord, have mercy, because it's like, you know, I would have been withheld from the promises of this, this rest that God is speaking of. So it's clearly not that. Right? But, but what is this promise? Because obviously it's not something, this rest isn't something that we can purchase. It's not something that we can attain. And, and we even saw in verse 19 of chapter 3 that it's something that can um, be barred from us by unbelief. Right? So it's like, okay, well, we're, we're kind of beginning to narrow that focus down a little bit on you know, what this uh, rest is. And, but it continues. It says, um, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, Here's a, an interesting thing that we need to take a look at because this word fear, let us fear. Now, oftentimes, you know, we'll pull out the Greek and stuff like that and we'll say, oh, it just means, it means like respect or, or, you know, to reverence and things like that. That's not this word. This word is phobios. Sound familiar? Like phobia, like arachnophobia, that means uh, an absolute terror of spiders. And this word phobios, it's literally that. It says that we, see, a promise has been made. See, now, now, we have to back up just for a second because chapter 4, verse 1 begins with a therefore. So it says, we see that they, the children of Israel, that were under Moses' leadership, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, 
Let us fear, us, New Testament believers, people who have put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to fear. We are to be phobios. We are to be terrified. It's like, really? Yeah. We are to be in terror. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So now we have to, again, you know, just kind of exegeting the text. You know, what is it that a New Testament believer, a Christian, a, at the very least, a churchgoer, what, what is something that we should fear above anything else? Because are we to fear man? No. Are we to fear the devil? No. Are we to fear anything that this world has to offer? The answer is clearly no. So what is the one thing we as believers, what are we to fear? What's the one thing that we could potentially fall short of that we should be terrified of falling short of? Salvation. It's salvation. All right, so this rest, it seems to be that the, that the author is talking about the salvation of God, that this is the rest intended. This is the rest being spoken of. And you say, wait a second, Adam and Eve? What? What about you know, Moses then? Like we haven't even, you know, the, the new covenant hadn't even been formed yet. What, what, what do you mean? We'll get there in just a second. But we are to fear. We are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, right? right? This is something that we are called to do. We don't want to be flippant about our walk. We don't want to be flippant about the salvation of God. We need to make sure that we are on point, that we are always constantly moving forward in the upward call of Jesus Christ, right? We are to always constantly be moving forward and seeking the Lord and pressing in. And it's not something that we can do by just like standing still or just like, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe. That's good, right? That's not enough, right, guys? We are to be pressing in. Uh, Are you terrified uh, of falling short uh, of the promises of God and entering into that rest which God has promised through his son, Jesus Christ, and the blood shed on the cross, right? If we're honest with ourselves, I'd say, well, no, not really. No, not really. Now, there there is a difference. I, I have to kind of frame this a little bit. There is a difference between confidence in our salvation Right, assurance of our salvation as we abide in Christ, and um, being just like, oh, what, I'm saved, I'm not saved. It's not that at all. But are we terrified? Are, are we like, hey, you know what? This is such a serious thing. This is my eternal soul, and so I am terrified of the possibility of ever falling short of God. So I am in. I'm not going to like skate the line. Here's sin. Here's. Uh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to sit on the fence because if I said before, Satan owns the fence. But because I am terrified of even the possibility of falling, sh- falling short of the promises and the rest of God, that I am going to press into God. I'm going to press into his grace. I'm going to press into his mercy. I'm going to press into his love and his presence. Right? That, I believe, is what he's speaking of here. Let us fear, lest any of you uh, seem to have come short of it. For indeed, listen, the gospel was preached to us as well as them. See, there was a gospel that was being presented to the children under Moses' leadership, right? They're talking, you know, Moses was a promised deliverer to them, and he was speaking of that promised land. He was speaking of that. But here's the thing, guys. The promised land wasn't the rest, right? The promised land was absolutely something that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Abraham wasn't just a, a Jew who believed in God and then that's it. And, you know, he had no faith in Jesus. He had no faith in heaven. It's just like, oh, you know, God's my God while I live and then I die and it's all done, right? That's not who it is. 
Abraham was the father of faith. And we, when we enter into faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe as he did, we become children of Abraham. Did you know that? When it says, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons is Father Abraham, like the kids sing that song, right? That's not just talking about the Jews who will eventually believe, but that is speaking of us as well. You know, the, the wild olive branch that has been grafted in, right? It is speaking of us, right? That is of us. All who would believe, whether Jew or Gentile, because in Christ, that middle wall of separation has been torn down. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, a lot of Jewish believers like to have, they, they go into messianic congregations because it has more of a, a, a Jewish feel or like um, more of what a um, synagogue would feel like. But in the end, they are no different than you, right? You are no different than they. God looks upon us all as the body of Christ. He does not see us. He does not see um, our works or anything like that, but he sees Christ when he looks upon us because we are in the body of Christ right the, this gospel was preached to us and to them and what i find fascinating is that the the veiled gospel that was spoken through moses because think about it in the end you know the things that moses taught you, know, you have the whole uh, levitical system you have the sacrifices and all that if you i'm actually in leviticus right now in my devotions and you know, it's a special book to me because i actually got saved reading leviticus right but when you're reading Leviticus, you know, with the, with the hindsight of like, oh, you know what, I know Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. It's really easy. It's like, oh, wow, look, here's Jesus, and here's Jesus, and here's Jesus, and here's Jesus. Oh, wow, here's, he's this sacrifice, and that sacrifice, and all these things are symbols of what Christ has done. But you know what? We have the hindsight. Hindsight's always 2020. But for them, they're looking at these, these, um, these rituals they're looking at these sacrifices they're looking at these offerings of the lord and the gospel is there but it's veiled it's not clear it's as looking through a mirror darkly you know it's like i, I kind of see it I, I can see i know there's a messiah and, and i know that 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 he's going to save us all but you know I, i'm not completely sure and yet the gospel that was spoken to them right they were held accountable for that gospel and when they rejected that gospel when they rejected it and would not believe in god and would not trust in god and they turned back from the promises of god not just the land but that was only a symptom see they they wouldn't go into the promised land for sure but that's only a symptom of the greater problem the greater problem is that they wouldn't believe in god they wouldn't trust in him they wouldn't put their faith in him and you say how is that possible they saw so many miracles yeah they did but you know what seeing miracles being in the presence of the moving of the spirit if you are not submitted to it and succumbed by it then it can harden your heart instead of soften it and, and these people though they had heard the gospel they 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 saw the cloud of witness you know th- there they were they saw the miracles they had moses the servant of god in their midst with the shining face and everything and yet they would not enter in because they could not trust god they would not trust him they would not believe and so they were turned back. And I, I've heard many commentators, I've read many commentators who said, hey, you know, you know that, that they were just you know, barred from entry into uh, the promised land. That has nothing to do with salvation or anything like that. They're saved, they're saved, they're saved. But it's like, I'm reading this and it says, I don't think so. Because he's, he's referring to salvation here. He's literally referring to salvation, the gospel, and they turned away from it and they failed. The ones that God was um, in chapter 3 he talked about the ones that he was upset with the ones that that he said you know he swore to them you know in his wrath they will not enter my rest what rest it's not the promised land 
its salvation. They would not enter in because they didn't believe. Egypt had possessed them. And even though Moses had brought them out, they would not believe. They could not believe. And so they did not enter in. I, I believe this is a salvation issue for those people back then. And it's something that you know, we are being warned of here in uh, Hebrews for the New Testament believer today. He says, so the gospel was preached to, to us as well as them. But listen, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Right? And you think, Pastor, I, I don't know about this whole thing. Are you sure they're not saved? Well, listen. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith. Right? How, how did Abraham, how was he accounted you know, as righteous? Was it because of his circumcision? No, of course not. He was circumcised after he was declared righteous. How was Abraham declared righteous? His faith. He believed God. These people, those people who were under the, the leadership of Moses, mind you, not Joshua, not Caleb, but all the rest who were 20 years and up, they did not believe. They murmured constantly. They they. Wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for saying, hey, we should go in. And, and you know, they, they had revolts. They had all these different things. And they ended up dying in the wilderness because God was not pleased with them. Why? Because they heard the word, but they did not receive the word in faith. And so it did no profit to them. And think about it. How, how many of you guys know people who are well-versed in Scripture, and yet that Scripture has had no profit for them whatsoever? Right, Because it has not led to salvation. It has not led to a, a love and a personal, intimate relationship with, with God. Right? It's very possible to hear the word and yet not believe it, not to have faith in it, and to just die. To die apart from, from God. And, and Jesus even said there's going to be many people in that day who will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, away from me, away from me, workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Right, so it's very important uh, just to, to understand this, that, that these people, you know, they, they didn't believe, they, they, they didn't have faith, they heard the word, they saw the miracles, and yet they didn't enter in. And so it says, um, for we uh, who have believed do enter that rest. Right, see, you know, here, here's the encouraging thing. See, we have entered that rest. Right, there's, you know, not the rest of the promised land, but the rest of God's salvation. And you know, if you believe, right, what's required? You know, how many mountains do you have to climb? You know, how, how many, you know, rivers do you have to ford? You know, they had to cross the Jordan, just one. But you know, what what do you have to do? What dragons do you have to slay? What great works do you have to do in order to win your salvation? None. Not one. See, there, there was one dragon that needed to be slayed, and Jesus did that. Right? And it was the great red dragon, the serpent of old, the devil himself. And Jesus kicked his teeth in, crushed his head at the cross. Now, he's still wiggling around a little bit, and he hasn't been completely disposed of yet, but he will. We, we, we've read the end. We, we know how this whole thing works out. But in the end, guys, we do enter that rest. And so I have to ask the question, are you at rest? Right? Are you at rest today? When, when somebody looks at your life, does your life personify peace and rest? Or does your life personify anxiety and fear? Right? What does your life declare? What, what is your gospel? Right? Because many times you are, you, know, you are an epistle written by the hand of God. Right? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And so what does your life say? Right? What does your life declare? 
Have you entered into that peace? And I, I know, I know all of you guys, right? And I would say, yes, you have all entered into that peace. But then I have to ask the question. This is a question I had to ask of myself. And, you know, I, because of the circumstances that I've gone through, I, I, I definitely had this very much in the forefront of my mind. You know, like, are you at peace? Do you have peace? Like, are you at rest in God? Can you trust him? Has he come around you and surrounded you? Has the fears of this world just been drowned out and faded to nothing? Because you know what? You have God. You have Christ. And no matter what this world may bring, no matter what terrors, no matter what anxieties, no matter what stresses may be forced upon us, they just kind of, they, they come off of us it, like the flames on uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as they were thrown in the fiery furnace, right? The smell of the smoke wasn't even upon them. Now, you know, I, I've got a little, you know, fire pit thing that, that I, you know, have, you know, fire out there. It's like, you know, I, I never really stick my hand in the fire unless I'm trying to impress the kids or something like that, but even though I really don't do that. But you know, I used to do that as a kid. But, you know, even so, even though I'm not in the fire, guess what happens? The smell of the smoke permeates my clothing and while i'm out there i don't really smell it but then i i go to bed and i wake up in the morning i pick up my clothes and throw them in the laundry and it's like whoa wow you could really smell that on them like that that's incredible but see the fears of this world shouldn't touch us right and and even if we were like hananiah mishael nazariah even if we were in the flames of the fiery furnace they would not touch us. And the smell of the, 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 the smoke of that furnace shouldn't touch us. It shouldn't permeate our clothing. It shouldn't be surrounding us. The only thing that should be burned up is the bonds that hold us captive. Why? Because Christ was with them in the fire. And why do we have this peace? Why do we have this rest? Because Christ walks with us through the trial, through the fire, through the pain and the sorrow. He is with us, right? He is with us. And he says, so, you know, as he said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Those who do not believe, those who have resisted, those who are um, unfaithful, they, they, they would not believe. He says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for, says, he has spoken in a certain place, and this certain place is Genesis, of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So, you know, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it, it certainly typifies, you know, God rested, and, you know, now, you know, all the works are done, and if we are in him, what, what work is to be done? Right? God created the heavens and the earth. He did all of it. It was all very good. And not only that, but even though we fell, nonetheless, he finished the work. Jesus said, to tell us die, paid in full, it is done. Right? The, the, the work is accomplished. And if we enter into God's rest, if we enter into his seventh day rest, then guess what? There's nothing more for us to do. Right? Now, if we back up for a few minutes and, and we go back to the Garden of Eden, right? And look at what they had there. Well, just like us and just like the, the wilderness wanderers, just like King David in his time and Abraham in his day, right? There was the word of God, wasn't there? What was the, what was the one word that, that God gave to Adam and Eve? Because the word of God was present with them. Now, obviously, God himself, Jesus, the word of God was there. But they had a command, didn't they? You may freely eat of all the fruit of the garden, but the one tree... Right, That is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you shall not eat, because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. See, there's the word of God. Okay, Now, as long as Adam and Eve believed 
right? They received, they heard the word of God. They had faith in the word of God. God's not lying to us. You know, we can trust him. He's a reliable source. And as, as long as they were obedient to that word, guess what? They were at rest, right? They, they, and what is the rest of God? You know, how does it look? Well, you know, think about it. They were created in the rest of God, weren't they? Right? They, they, were, they, they were created in that perfection, in that beauty. And so what did it look like? They saw God face to face. They heard his voice clearly, kind of like Moses did. Right? Not only that, they walked with him in the cool of the evening through the garden. Right? They had a fellowship, a closeness with God that we could only long for. Right? They, they had that, that, that very special intimacy with God. You know, I mean... I know faith is the substance of things unseen, but gosh, it would sure be nice to see God every once in a while, wouldn't it? It would sure be really neat to, you know, I went for a long walk today, you know, thinking about these scriptures, you know, just meditating on the word. And it's like, you know, and yes, God was with me, you know, God indwells me, is with me. But, you know, it'd be really cool to be walking down the street and like people going by like, what's up with who I'm with, right? That would be neat. That would be great. I, I would be super excited about that. But, you know, that day is coming. It's not yet. It's coming. It's kind of like, you know, this rest that we have entered into, you know, because, you know, we have believed. It's kind of like, any of you ever eaten at a deli? And those old school delis, you know what they have? They have that little pull down thing that you take a number. And up on the, up on the wall, there's a little, uh, it's not a clock, but just a little numbering system. And it goes ding, 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 and it changes the number. And, and see, we who believe, right, you can only take that number by faith. Right? Only by faith can you take that number. And so we go, and when we believe in Jesus Christ, we pull down that number. And, and though you know, we're not in the same situation like Adam and Eve, where they are in the presence, in the fulfillment of the peace, in the fulfillment of the rest, and yet we do still enter into that rest physically, presently, now, in the same sense. See, we have that number, and you can only take that number by faith. And when you have that number, you know that you will be called. Your number will be called one day and in that day you will be served heaven right isn't that a glorious thing right isn't that a beautiful picture it's like you know what i don't have it yet uh, you know I, I know i still struggle with sin i can't see god face to face i experience him in my heart and the holy spirit dwelling within me i absolutely do I, I experience him through his word through prayer and yet there's still more it's not complete trinity she's complete Right? She has entered into the rest. She is complete. Her number was called and she went home. And one day my number will be called and I will be at peace and complete rest in Jesus Christ. Right? But see, that's what Adam and Eve had back in the garden. And, and, and the problem is the, the, they, they had the word, they, they believed, and, and they were obedient to the word. And as long as they had those three, guess what? Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. But then in comes the serpent. And the serpent questioned the word of God, caused doubt, right? He, he, he kind of mixed up the word. You know, he, he's like, did he really say, causing them to doubt? And then Eve, what did she do? She added to the word, right? She said, oh, if we even touch the fruit, we shall surely die. Whoops, God didn't say that, right? Eve added to the word. And then as the Satan probably plucked the whatever it was off of the tree, he says, you won't die. And she's like, oh, wow, her theology just got shaken. Oh no, can I trust God? He's a liar. No, you were just wrong. And then she was disobedient to the word and she ate and sin entered. See, in the, in the garden before, there was no fear. Right? Why? Perfect love casts out all fear because in fear there's condemnation. 
right? There, there's torment within fear. And there, that, that wasn't in the rest of God. That wasn't in the Garden of Eden. And when Eve and when Adam ate of that fruit, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, guess what? Fear came in. Because now they, were, they, they had knowledge of their own sin, their own depraved condition. Uh-oh. And so now when God came walking in, in the cool of the evening saying, Adam, Eve, where are you? They hid from him. They hid from his sight because they were terrified because they knew they were naked. They knew they, they were ashamed of who they were. One day, one day we're going to enter back into that promise. One day we're going to have that rest like Adam and Eve were created into. One day we will walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. One day we will hear the Father's voice. One day we will see the Holy Spirit. And I hear a lot of people say all the time, Oh, God is spirit. We won't see him. It's like, well, come on now. It's like, we'll be spirit too. We'll be able to see him just fine. Right? God sees. You know, this, you know all the senses that we have, God has and more. Right? We will see him one day. We will see him face to face. And so he continues, you know, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Right? See, do you see how this, they shall not enter my rest, keeps coming up? And, and you see why you know, the, the author you know, talked about the phobia. You know, it, it's something that, that he's driving home again and again and again. They will not uh, enter into my rest. You know, we must fear lest we seem to have come short of it. You know, they will not enter my rest. I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. And he says, since therefore it remains that some must enter and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, right? So, you know, here's another aspect of it. See, guys, we need to make sure that we are not disobedient to the word because Adam and Eve, they had the word. They didn't believe in the word. They didn't have faith in the word. So they disobeyed the word. You know, in you know, Abraham's day, and you know, he believed, he trusted, and, got, and the promises came to him. But, you know, many times throughout uh, the, the, the history of redemption, Right, those specifically the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, the apple of God's eye, those who the covenant nation with God. Guess what? They had the word, they didn't believe the word, and they disobeyed the word, and all hell broke loose. Right. So again and again and again, you know, we're reminded that they did not enter in because of disobedience. And you know, this this promise, you know, this thing that that he continues to say, you know, right down here in verse seven, it says, you know, he, he it, again he designates a certain day, saying, "In David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts." Right, it's like, hey, wait a second, guys. It's not just those wilderness wanderers, the, the, that that re- stiff-necked and rebellious you know, generation who wanted water from the rock, rock and the quails again and again, and, and they would not believe. In the, is he, and the, the author of Hebrews is saying it's not just them. He said because God continued to bring this message of the promised rest, rest through His servant David. He said, for if Joshua had given them rest, verse eight, he says, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. Right? There is still another day. See, the day is coming. The day is coming, and, and, and do not harden your hearts. He says, it, it's not just them, it's now. See, the salvation, it, it comes to every single one of us. This rest of God is for every single one of us. It's not just the generations back. It's not just you know, our parents' generation. It's our generation. It's us. And, you know, and even within this room, there, there's multiple generations, isn't there? Right? Even in this room, there's multiple generations. And it's not just, oh, you know, that generation or this generation or the generation that's coming up behind us. It has nothing to do with that. See, it's every single one of us. Every single one of us must enter into this rest of God. 
He says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Right? How many of you try to impress people with your prayers? How many of you try to impress people with the scriptures you have memorized? Or the Bible facts that you have? Or, hey, you, know, you play Bible trivia and it's like, I can answer all the questions and things like that. You know, we, we had a, Jared pulled out this, this app, remember Bible or not? And it's like, you know, I have to admit, I felt a little bit of pride at first. It's like, wow, I had the highest score. And, like, and he kept testing different people, and I still had the highest score. It's like, hey, hey, And all of a sudden, Jared scored a score that was like 200 points above mine. It's like, whoa, what happened? It's like, oh, man. I, I, but I kept averaging the same spot. It's like, well, there goes that. Right, there goes that. But see, there's nothing that we have to offer. There's nothing that we can give. There's nothing that we can do. Right? There's no um, like churning up like, hey, you know, if I do this, then God will give more favor to me. He, you know, he'll love me more. I'll be his favorite. Guess what? You're already his favorite. Right? And an eternal, infinite God can have lots of favorites. It's great. See, you remember the Apostle John? Do you think the Apostle John was Christ's favorite? Do you think you know, Jesus played favorites? No, but John was the only apostle who said the one whom Jesus loved. Right? That's obviously, clearly, he felt like God's favorite. And see, that's the way God works. See, he makes all of us feel like, he's, like, like we're his favorite, right? Right? When we truly understand his promises, when we truly understand what he did for you and for me personally, it's like, wow, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. You know, and, and all of you should say that very same thing. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. Right? I'm the one whom God loves. Right? He died for me. Wow. That is a fact. That, that, that is truth. And we need to understand it. And see, we need to enter into that rest. Right? Because, I mean, think about it. What is rest? Rest is when you stop, when you, when you sit down, when you relax, and you allow yourself to be refreshed. Right? That, that's the connotation of what rest is. It's a regathering of strength. Right? And, and before we were in Christ, before we had given our hearts to him, before we entered in by faith, what were we doing? It's like, hey, I'm a good person. Being a good person is exhausting, isn't it? Especially when you know you're not that good of a person. Right? It's exhausting trying to pretend to be a good person. I know. I did it. You know, I got religion when I, you tried to win my wife. Right? And it was exhausting trying to be a good person. Right? It was exhausting. You say so many lies. It's like you've got to keep track of all those lies pretending to be a good person. Right? It was tough. You know, it was tiring. But you know what? The day I gave my heart to Jesus, it's like that weight that weight of having to try to be good went away. Because, see, I don't have to be good. I just have to be saved. And you know what? God began to do a work in me. And, and where I, I didn't even know I had issues, God began to convict me. The first thing that went away was my cussing. Right? I would be like, pass the bleep and sugar, honey. You're at the dinner table and things like that. You know, I was like that. I had a crude mouth. I worked in a construction kind of environment. Right? Shipping department, all that kind of stuff. I was a foul mouth. Not in front of my mom, but you know, a lot of people have that ethic. But that's who I was. You know, and I gave my heart to Jesus, and I think that's probably one of the things that the telltale signs that, that set Heidi off that something had changed in me. Because I stopped cussing. And she came to me, she's like, What happened to you? You're different. It's like I didn't do anything to try to make myself different. I wasn't doing anything. I was just living in Christ. That's it. And he began to change me. He began to, to scour out the filth and, and the, the, the depravity that was within my heart. And he still does it today. I'm not clean yet. Positionally, yes, I'm clean. Practically, still a bit dirty. 
right? He's working, he's working. So with all of that, we come to verse 11. Let us therefore, right, with all of that, all of those warnings, all the people, past, present, future, you know, from Adam and Eve all the way up to present day, he says, let us therefore be diligent. See, first he said fear, right? First it was phobios, right? Be terrified to come short. He says, but now here's the proactive thing. Be diligent to enter that rest, right? Be diligent to press into Christ, to abide with him, to walk with him, to love him and to fall more and more in love with him every day. Can you fall in love with somebody? Can you, can you willfully cause yourself to fall more and more in love with somebody every single day? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. A great part of love is a choice. It's not the fullness. Love also has feelings and things like that. But a very large portion uh, of true love, agape, is choice. It's sacrifice. It's willingness. It's desire. It's spending time with. It's being with. Being in the presence of. Right? Be diligent to enter into that rest. To enter into that salvation. He says, lest anyone fall according to the example of disobedience. Those people saw, those people heard. They did not mix it with faith. They were disobedient and they fell. Don't let that be your saga. Don't let that be your story. Right, that is what he is saying. And then four, right, four, this is a continuation of that. Right, be diligent to enter into the rest. Right, lest you fall into the same example of, as those people who were disobedient before. For the word of God is living and power. Do you see the context of this, of this section of scripture now? Sounds a little bit more intimidating, does it? It's a warning. He says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, wait a second. What's he saying here? The word of God always has been and always will be the plumb line of salvation. Right? You can say, Oh, you know what? Um, I feel God, God revealed to me in a dream that I'm allowed to have this adulterous relationship with my mistress. It's okay. He's blessed it. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. And adulterers will fall into the same condemnation as sorcerers, as drunkards, as um, all the rest. There's a, quite a long list. Right? Of all the things of, of the carnal nature. He says they will have their judgment. And see, that, that's what this, that's what this uh, passage of Scripture is talking about. See, when we stand before the Lord, guess what? The Word of God is going to be the plumb line, and we are going to stand up to it. And it's like, hopefully, we'll be like Mary Poppins. Practically perfect in every way. Woohoo! Yes! Right? In reality, if we have given our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have walked in Him, guess what? The plumb line is going to come up, and it's going to go like this. What, you know what it's going to read? Jesus Christ. And that's it. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the, the joy of the Father. Well done. Well done. Guys, we have the word of God. Not veiled like in Moses' day. The wilderness wanderers. They had, they had a slight glimpse. They, yeah, we know the Messiah is coming. Right? It's coming through the tribe of Judah. We know that. Right? We have a clear revelation of the plan of redemption what God has done for us, his desire for us, his character, his personality. Jesus is the express image. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Right? We have all of those things and knowing those things. Like, you know what, guys? We need to approach the throne of grace 
by faith and faith alone. Right? We have heard the word of God. We have received it in faith. And we walk in obedience to it. Right? That's the same thing. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. Same thing. Word of God. Receive it in faith. Walk in obedience. Rest. That's it. That's it. Our commands are not grievous. Love. Love. Agape. Self-sacrifice. If you haven't seen uh, the Disney movie Frozen, go see it. Even you adults, seriously. I don't plug movies very often at all. But you know what? That movie, actually, for the very first time I've ever seen it in really any secular movie, it actually, the whole thing is about agape love. The whole thing is about agape love. They actually define true love, not as love at first sight, right? Like they usually do in Disney movies, right? They actually mock that in this one. But they actually define true love as sacrificing what is best for you for the good of another. Huh. Guys, we are called to love. We receive the command. We believe it. Let's walk in it. Let us be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Right? Let us be doers of the word. Verse 13 just goes on to say, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, one day we will give an account. Walk in his peace. Walk in his rest, in his salvation now. And you know what? When that trumpet sounds and the... the happens and your number is called guess what you'll be so excited you will run to jesus and you will fall on your face in front of him you'll jump up grab him a giant hug with your legs wrapped around him i don't know what you'll do but you'll be so so incredibly excited and so overjoyed and you will just be like wow what we don't want to happen is the number to keep changing bing 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 it's like what's that number for i have no idea or to go being, <gasps> uh-oh, enter into his rest. Right, whatever you got going on, the holidays, <laughs> the bills from the holidays, the job, the family. Say, so guys, you know what? Let all that fade and look upon the face of Jesus Christ. Look upon the cross and know peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for just the power, the exhortation, Lord, the warnings, and also the grace and the encouragement. Lord, we pray that you would just minister these things to our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to walk in them, to be faithful to them, to be faithful to you. Lord, we love you. It is our only desire to be close to you and that our lives, as we trust in you, and have faith in you and your word. Lord, that they would be pleasing to you. For we offer them freely in Jesus' name. Amen.